Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? You English Bob. Outlaws were heroes. Well, I thought that you were dead. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just in Nebraska. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. Was as good as gold. All right, welcome everyone to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. I am Michael Flores, the host of this podcast, and I'm in the studio with Clint Felton. Hello, Clint. Hello, hello. So today we have a movie that we're going to discuss, and this is a special one. Mm-hmm. In this episode, I'm very, very excited is we are going to discuss the 1992 Western film directed by Clint Eastwood titled Unforgiven. This movie, Clint, is truly an astonishing accomplishment. And ready to hold on to your butt here? Arguably Eastwood's greatest directorial achievement to date. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what? Over 20 years later? Yes. And yes, he has directed numerous projects, all of which are pretty damn fucking good. But I don't think they measure against the work he put into Unforgiven. This movie is going to be is, I think, the pinnacle of Eastwood's career. I think this is what people are going to. The bar was set is probably the best way to say that the bar was set in 1992. And since then, I don't think Eastwood has put out work nearly as good. That sounds negative. He puts out some really good movies, but I'm just trying to stress the point that Unforgiven is that good. Well, it's also, uh, for us Western fans, a goodbye. Which is kind of tough to take. (laughs) But it's... It 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 was it was done so well that I think us fans of a the man with no name, the Clint Eastwood mythos of all the westerns, when you get to this film and you see the everything that went into it and the story, you. 
you're sad to see it go, but you are okay with it. It's kind of a weird feeling. And I, you know, I've seen this film probably, you know, we've probably watched this hundreds of times, right? Because this is the one. And you still, even at till right when we get to the end credits, we're still on that. I love this film. It's sad. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of emotions for a Western fan to go through. Yeah. Well, I like how you said it's a goodbye as well. Because it essentially is because it did also have that sunset vibe, the cowboy sunset vibe. We're dealing with older characters. We're dealing with people that are pretty much at the end of their life, right? Older individuals. There's a lot of reflection. There's a lot of introspective thoughts or introspective moments within the movie. So it feels like it was a strategy when it comes to Eastwood in terms of saying something about his career and who knows, maybe this is the reason why he has not done another Western. Maybe this is the reason why he will not listen to the fans. When we say, come on one more Western because he just, in his mind, listen, unforgiven was it. Yeah. That was my, that was my goodbye to a genre that made me who I am today in both acting and directing. I mean, I believe he had said at one point that this was also um, dedicated to Sergio Leone. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So why would he want to do another one? I know as a fan, as a greedy fan, we're like, please give us another one. But honestly, I do understand why he hasn't gone back to this genre. This film is not just on my top 10 Westerns of all of all time it's on my top 10 best films list because unforgiven is just a great piece Uh, there's a genius within its simplicity and i use that word very loosely it's well thought out the plot is is very well thought out but simple and that's because of course david webb peoples the writer he did such a great job which we do plan to get into that just a bit in a moment here Uh, This movie is also an example of Eastwood and his directing best. Uh, He had churned out some greats up to this point. High Plains Drifter, the outlaw Josie Wales, and then, of course, the Pale Rider, just to name a few. But this movie represented a turning point for Eastwood when he turned his sights on the Academy. The tone and the overall quality of this film or of his films shifted after this. Have you noticed that? And again, not to say his previous films weren't high quality. They were. But what I mean is that Unforgiven represented a change in his career. He took his career in a very different direction after this movie. And he had learned, I mean, from some of the best, what, 20 plus years of directing at this point, I believe, um, I believe what High Plains Drifter, Outlaw Josie Wells were all in the early 70s. This was 92. So, yeah, he had been directing for a little over 20 years already up to this point, which is, by the way, Clint, that's longer than most directors careers. Sure. So uh, the fact that he was already directing for 20 years says something. Well, and he's still directing, isn't he like 89? Uh, yeah, I still mean- directing. <laughs> Still taking his career down different paths. He's been very careful with his choices 
uh, since 92 as well. Very careful. I, you know, I'm going to backtrack. I think he's been very careful and strategic with his choices since he started directing his own pictures. There are specific pictures he chooses, and you can almost, you can, you can catalog and bookmark different decades of his career where there was a change from the 70s, from the 60s to the 70s, from the 70s to the 80s, the 80s to the 90s, the 90s to the 2000s, the mid 2000s to where we're at now. So he's very strategic with his career, but I would definitely say without a doubt, Unforgiven was the big turning point where he was just going to, it seems like he focused a lot more on the Academy, getting those, not that awards and accolades was his focus. I'm not saying that, but he did turn his eye more on the academics, the academic side of filmmaking. It's something that he had probably found rewarding, you know, making those, those pictures. And also it rejuvenated his career unforgiven as a director and boosted his longevity within the trade. Yeah. Whenever you get nominated for an Oscar and win an Oscar, that gives you some longevity and some fu money, essentially. <laughs> Clint, what are your overall thoughts in a nutshell? I know you already kind of went into it, but just so we can have it more, a little more tidy. What's your overall thoughts? Well, in any, a nutshell, anytime we talk about Clint Eastwood movies, I don't care if it's good, bad, the ugly, High Plains Drifter. Uh, you know, I always tell you my story of my story of watching the rawhide with the stolen yeah. gun and then i watched it kind of in my own storyline of the man with no name and this is the ending of that movie storyline i guess you'd say that i've done i've only done it twice but um it always is a bittersweet moment when i get to the film uh and when we decided we were going to um, review it. I was excited. I knew the pain I was going to go through. And, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that even if you didn't have uh, all the other films um, of Clint Eastwood, all the other Westerns, I think this one would still be as great. Now, maybe not if he didn't have those, he wouldn't have been as great as director. But I think if we would just cut them all off and this was his only film, I think it would still stand out. We have the one thing that I've always liked Gene Hackman. Oh yeah. And uh, quick and the dead. Fantastic. And in this is, he, he has that sarcasm ego egotist, you know, in him. Yeah. And so anytime he's in a film, I, I really love to watch it because he just has that. And so when I'm watching this film, like you said earlier, you're watching gunfighters at the end. I mean, that's really what we're watching. We're watching what happens to gunfighters who've outlived the gun and right. we're past. Well, Really, we're past even using a six gun. We switch to a shotgun uh, because we don't have maybe the eyesight, dexterity, what have you, to be a great gunfighter. Instead, we have killer instincts, which I love that they did that. It wasn't all about quickness. It was about kind of using your wits 
that your past experiences. And um, that's one thing that we can all take away from this film is that it was, it, it, it's the last man standing and it's all his gunfighting past that got him to this point. And uh, I think that's what I love about this film is that it's gunfighters at the end, but they still have that gunfighter mentality. It's not about fast and accurate. It's about the smarts of a gunfighter. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump on one of those words. You said one of those phrases, killer instincts. And I want to, I want to, Put a pin in that because I want to get back to that in a moment here because I feel like that's a big part of the story when it comes to Eastwood. Much of the story is about a man who doesn't want to be something he was. Right. I don't know how many times he said it throughout the entire movie. And then by the end of the movie, we realize, no, buddy, that's still you. And it's more complicated than that. It's so much more in depth about how we grow as people and how we want to change. There's a lot of aspects that are very relatable when it comes to that. But let's get official here with our synopsis. Unforgiven is a 1992 American revisionist Western film produced and directed by Clint Eastwood and written by David Webb Peoples. The film portrays William Money, an aging outlaw and killer who takes on one more job years after he had turned to farming. The film stars Eastwood in the lead role with Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, and Richard Harris. Eastwood stated that the film would be his last Western for fear of repeating himself or imitating someone else's work. And boy, is he really standing by that statement. Uh, The film won four Academy Awards Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Gene Hackman, and Best Film Editing for Editor Joel Cox. Eastwood was, in fact, nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor for his performance, but lost to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. And that's a hard one. And I'm trying not to be a Clint Eastwood fanboy here. Now, Scent of a Woman's a damn good movie. Mm -hmm. And Al Pacino's performance is fucking great. But there is a presence that Eastwood brings in this movie that I don't think he's ever brought to any movie prior. There's There's a portrayal. It almost feels personal for him. And that's why I feel like this movie works even more so for me. It feels like this movie is coming from a personal place that he is also trying to say something about his life. Not that he's a killer, because that's not the point. Most of us can't relate to someone who's a murderer. That's not the point. But there are moments throughout this movie that most of us as individuals can, in fact, relate. Well, have we ever seen him as a broken soul like that? Oh, that's hard to say. There's been so many movies, but off the top of my head, I don't think so. You know, he, he, obviously we had an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. We had an anger problem. Um, and he met this woman and they had kids and she kind of reformed him sort of. And right. we do see in the, the, the film that when he does take that drink, when he finds out, um, Ned is killed, that, he grabs that bottle, starts drinking, and then 
basically un- unleashing unleashes Mooney's history. Right. So I I'm wondering if you know this uh I don't recall and I tried to think about it when before we came on is mm-hmm. I don't remember ever seeing him in anything prior to Unforgiven where he wasn't broken like this. He always seemed like that strong statue um uh, badass that we've all grown to love, right? In these westerns, yeah. dirty hairy even. And I I don't think I've ever seen him like break down a character to the point where he was pitiful because he wasn't well, he even was, a good fucking pig farmer. Oh, he was vulnerable. And that's, yeah. I, I love that you said he wasn't a good pig farmer because there was a vulnerability up to this point. Clint Eastwood was literally taller than the sky. Yes. That's the persona that he put into most of his films. And it works. It works to this day. It works. But when he says he doesn't want to make any more Westerns for fear of repeating himself, I get what he's saying because this was something very different. He's played intimate personal roles before this film. But there was something that he was willing to do in this picture that he has not done at least in my memory. And I've seen just about every, no, I have for a fact have seen every Eastwood movie and to the best of my memory, I don't believe he's ever allowed one of his characters to be so vulnerable. Well, look like to look foolish at times, you know, falling in the mud. I mean, that's our introduction to the character. He's, he's rolling in the mud with the pig he is pretty much at the, the 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 whim of the Schofield kid who could have easily put him down if he wanted to. Our gunfighter couldn't even get on a damn horse. Couldn't get on a horse. Then he's sick for the first act of the movie. He's he's not the person of the stories that you've heard pertaining to money, William Money, oh, money this money. killer, this murderer. So... That's why this movie for me is so strong and and whether or not Clint Eastwood has ever admitted it again, I don't know. The reason why certain actors perform so well in certain films, typically when you talk to them, it's because something was very personal for them and they're using uh, that as a way to, to govern and put together this performance. And that's the impression I get Whenever I watch this movie, that it's coming from a real place that Eastwood truly believed in this character and the genetic makeup that made up this person. And there's multiple themes going on within this film so much within the subtext. It is a deep movie. And I did say loosely it was simple because the plot There is a simplicity to the plot, but that doesn't mean the movie is simple. You have a guy that is turned from his ways of murder, as you had mentioned, Clint, because he met a woman that loved him and showed him that there's more to life than robbing and stealing and being mean. And even though he's not very good at living a normal man's life, he continues to live the life she wanted him to even after her death. Right. That's kind of the setup. And just like all good revisionist Westerns should do. There's a bit of a social statement or perhaps a question at the core of this Western. It's an intimate and personal question. Do people change? 
It's a question that many of us hope we can answer with a quick resounding yes. I think most of us want to think we can change. The thought of us being the same person we were in our youth is a bit off-putting. Right, Clint? I mean, we don't want to think, yeah, I'm the same person I was when I was 21, 22. God, I hope not. See? Exactly. (laughs) We don't want to be those people. And this is the aspect of the movie that I found very relatable. From the very beginning of the the movie, Eastwood's character says, that ain't me anymore. And I don't do that anymore. And I ain't a killer anymore. There was an obvious effort to get that out there during the first act of the film. And that's because there was a strategy behind what they were trying to to do in this movie. Because when the time came for him to act, and this is the most powerful moment for me in this entire movie. When it was time for him to act, we'd see that he is very much that man still. Sure, from a moral or ethical perspective, he's killing for a just reason. And that's the reason we as an audience can root for him, but it's personal for him. He's still taking a life. He's still breaking that promise to his wife, but it's so easy for him. And that's the kicker there. It's so easy for him to start killing again. And that's the best part for me about this movie, because we see money's partner, Ned, unable to pull the trigger. And the Schofield kid becomes sickened after he shoots the man in the outhouse. Then you take that and contrast that with how the killing doesn't affect money. It suddenly brings things into focus a little bit more when it comes to this character. Eastwood's character is still that man. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that no doubt bothered him. That's the strength of this movie is that it's introspective that you have a guy that doesn't want to be that guy. I'm not him. I'm not that anymore. I'm not a killer anymore. But when it came down to it, his hand didn't shake. He was able to pull the trigger. He did the deed when the other gentleman could not. And it brings that question back to the forefront. Do or can people change? It's a powerful message. Mm. And it's very relatable, as I had said, because most of us want to think we can change. Most of us want to think we can be different people and better people as the years go by. There's also another theme going on that makes this movie that much better. The idea that life isn't cheap. And that's something that, Clint, you and I both love Westerns where, you know, you have the shootouts in the streets and everyone just dies and, (laughs) and bullets are flying everywhere, right? But then you have a movie like this where they don't do things like that for a very specific reason. It's a little more grounded than those typical Westerns that we all love. Life is not cheap in this story. There's a value placed on the heads of every person from the cut up prostitute to the cowboys that cut her up. Just go back to the opening act of the movie. Little Bill not willing to hang the cowboys for their sins, but instead taking a form of payment as recompense. Uh, There's a cost for death. Uh, This theme, the value of life, is exemplified with English Bob's diatribe on king versus a president. The reason someone on a whim can assassinate a president is because there's no value. He's just a man. He's nothing important when compared to a king. A king will make you stop and think before you pull the trigger. The value is understood. 
So there being a cost for taking a life is for me is a remarkable addition to the script. And I'm very happy that Eastwood and writer David Webb Peoples chose to let money survive. William Money. Because it would be a happy ending, right? Like, and I'm not saying that because I want a happy ending, right? I think a lot of us want our heroes to ride off to the sunset and not die. But that's not really the reason why I wanted him to survive. I want him to witness the cost of what it means to take a life. Because that's, in a lot of ways, the entire point of the movie. For picking up the gun again and taking a life, you now have to live the rest of your life knowing that a, you not only broke your promise to your wife, but you're still a killer. Right. And now you have to sit for the next 20 years contemplating, are you this same person? Ned died, right? Schofield kid lives with remorse and regret for taking a man's life. Gene Hackman took Ned's life. Look what happened when he murdered someone. He got his judgment, his due. He ends up dying at the end. Every, there's a cost. The cost is life is a life of remorse and a weighted comeuppance. Didn't Eastwood's character say, we all deserve to die? Mm-hmm. That's we why the movie's called... We all, yes, we all have it coming. That's why the movie's called Unforgiven. There's a bit of an Old Testament scorched earth mentality here. We are not forgiven of our sins. You will pay eventually. Gene Hackman's character said, if you remember when he was talking to the prostitute, when the prostitute had accused little bill of beating an innocent man and what did he say innocent innocent of what (sighs) there's so much strategy behind this film it's an exercise in writing and directing excellence the fact that they're making that statement they're putting the emphasis on the value of life there's a give take i love it It's just a very smart movie, and I don't feel like a lot of Westerns put the emphasis on life because we get the idea that the wild, wild West was, you know, shoot or be shot, right? Mm -hmm. It was a hard life. So I feel like a lot of us have just kind of been geared to accept that, hey, you're going to pull a gun down on someone just for stealing a pie off your window seal, right? Hey, we're going to hang this person for... Um, stealing a woman's purse. And yes, those things may have happened in the old West, but the thing that makes this movie work for me is those things aren't easily done without consequence in this film. Everyone pays for something they've done. Unforgiven. It's very, uh, it's very mind oriented, conscious and stuff like that. And that's the part that I really dug. It's just a smart picture, man. I mean, Gene Hackman, even with the death of his character, because I found it. I remember when I was younger and I watched this, I was a bit not miffed, but. I remember thinking, yeah, Gene Hackman says, I don't deserve this. <laughs> and you know what? He kind of doesn't. Up until. He took Ned's life because when you think about it, the dude was just trying to uphold law and order. He was a mean motherfucker, but he was trying to do right. He even valued life. That's why he didn't kill 
the cowboys for what they did to the women. Not because he's a pushover. That was the point. That's why he kicked English Bob. That's why he was rough and tough. They didn't want us to think he was passive aggressive or a pussy. He's not. He valued life. Just not a good carpenter. Horrible carpenter and and a mean bastard and arrogant as hell. But he did value life. And he crossed that line when he killed Ned. Yeah. And that's why at the end of the movie, he gets blown away after he says, I don't deserve this. So it's dude, it's a complicated movie. And I know I said I'm contradicting myself because I said it's simple. But when I say simple, the plot, there's a simplicity to the overall plot. But when you really get into it, you know, George Lucas had said years ago, you know, I see what you're doing here on the script, but how are you going to show it? Here, many times what you're trying to do, what's trapping your head, doesn't come through on the page. The director's job is to take that blueprint and interpret it and then make it that much more on screen. Give it the substance. And that's what Eastwood did. I doubt David Peoples' script had all this in there. Yes, it had the moving pieces. Yes, it had the themes. Not going to take away from a script. But that's why I look back at this movie, and it deserved to win Best Picture. It deserved to to win Best Directing, because this is Eastwood's greatest achievement. The amount of story and subtext and theme that he was able to pull from that script and put it on screen, I don't. Going back to what I said at the top of the show, I don't think Eastwood has ever directed a film this great since then. No, I agree. There's been good. There's been good ones, but not great ones. Excellent. Excellent movies, but just not at the level of Unforgiven. And like you were saying, it was more personal. And I think. I think he wanted to be done with the Westerns, you know, because like if you look at John Wayne, he was typecast i mean there's no getting around right if john i think he had a he had that where he was kind of a cop or something wasn't he yeah i can't remember the name of it but you know sometimes we don't like our our western guys to go off and do other things and no um i think he just wanted to make this one fantastic film with all these little subtleties in it, like not being a good mm-hmm. farmer, not being able to get on the course and not even being a good shot and just kind of make us realize that slowly, but surely this is, this is it. And I love the fact that we went through these feelings and we, like you even said that our people deserving the the death that's coming to them. Um, and here he really got to live out his life. If you, if you know, when we get to the end of it, he fades off into the, the background at the very end and, um, and moved away, but he had to live with that. Yeah, I mean, dude, he had, that's to, the, he had to live. that's the tough part, right? I mean, yeah, he, he was a badass and he wasn't a good guy, but and he lived and people are like, oh, people could be like, that's not fair. But on the same hand, he's got to go to sleep with that. 
Right. Because what was most important to him? The thing that was most important was that he wasn't the same person. Right. His his comeuppance is the fact that he, he has to live now knowing that he is the same person. Yeah. And never cheated damn, on his dude. dead wife. Now, good for him. Unlike, I just uh, to, unlike, uh, uh, Ned. <laughs> I know what a loot. That's why Ned died. Right. That's that. That was his bad thing. Yeah. yeah. His Indian wife put some bad, you know, hex on him. Some Indian hex. But and like, who would have thought Ned years later would have became God. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Does that guy ever age? Does Morgan Freeman age? I don't know, but I want some of what he's having. I'm like, dude, you look the same. Come on now. Like I, if I didn't know any better, I would think this movie and yeah, no, was filmed I'm with like you. last week. Was <laughs> I'm with you, man. I I think it's some of that Hollywood baby blood. Jeez, they must dude, be it has passing to be around a vial or something. I mean, Morgan Freeman, I, I think he actually looks better now than he did in 92. Yeah. But, I mean, I was watching. I'm like, really? 92? Hm. Wait, is that how old Morgan Freeman is now? No, no, no. Oh, I mean, oh, it was, oh, oh, the it was year, done the in year, 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, wow. Yeah. Dude, it was such a great cast. Morgan Freeman is so good. He does not get enough credit. Um, I know he's done some more mainstream roles in re- in recent years and become and has become a bit of a household name now. But most of that didn't happen until about 15 years ago. And yet he's been around for such a long time he does not get enough credit for just how good he really is in movies. Yeah, they they make those jokes about his voice and hey, Morgan Freeman's going to narrate my life. Yeah. yeah, he gets that. But I mean, he, just beyond that, he's just a very capable actor. Yeah. And then, of course, Gene Hackman. I love him. There was a time in the 90s that I made a point to see every Gene Hackman movie in the theater. I didn't care what it was. If Gene Hackman was in it. I am going to see it the day it comes out. There is just from from Lex Luthor in the old Superman movies to uh, that shitty movie with Will Smith. He is just good in everything he's in. And I believe he's retired now, right? Uh, Is is that his story? Because he has not been in a movie in years. And I believe last I heard he had said that he is done with acting. Well, good for him. I mean, he's made his money, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's, you know, the one I think you and I have discussed him maybe a couple handful of times, but the quick and the dead was that iconic for me, the, the, the ego, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of that was in this or vice versa, I guess. I I don't know the dates, but he has that smugness to him where he can pull that off so great and you like him almost like the Al Swearingen. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You you like him but you know you shouldn't <laughs> and it's it's really cool. Yeah. He almost thinking of speaking of Al Swearingen, I we can't get through a review ever of any movie without talking about Deadwood apparently, but he could, I could almost see him playing that role. Oh yeah. He'd be, he he would play it a little differently, but it's, it's right up his alley, right? You'd love to hate him. Yeah. Or hate to love him. <laughs> yeah, I could see it. And Eastwood, 
it, I know we kind of delved into him a bit already about his acting, but looking at his his career, it kind of makes sense why he had chosen this movie to be the end of an era. I I believe in the 50s is when he started and he was in westerns in the 50s. He was in westerns in the 60s. He was in westerns in the 70s. Westerns in the 80s. I mean, that was what, 40 years? So it kind of makes sense. It's not like we can, you know, get all pissed off at him for abandoning the genre. I mean, the guy gave us 40 plus years of of great Western entertainment. So what I think, you, I think I think I I'm, maybe we talked about this off the air a while mm-hmm. ago, but weren't we even talking about how this almost was, I don't want to say it was going to kill the Westerns, but it was like the end of the Westerns. Yeah. I think the I, last I, big Western. Yeah. Like this was yeah. the one it almost put, what I, I'm hoping it was. I was talking to you about it, but I, I think we our conversation was we thought this one was would have taken out the westerns because it was a that this good, and it was the gunfighters were done, or something on that line where yeah. we, it was just kind of that end of the era, almost that one western to kill all other westerns, and I'm glad it didn't. Because we got some really good stuff afterwards, but it if you if you it's it is that good to where it could have hurt it the western genre. Yeah, this is the one to beat though. I don't have all the data in front of me, um, but this movie now get this. Okay, you ready, Clint? Ready. Remember, this is 1992. Okay, the budget was 14 million, which wasn't entirely cheap for 1992 but do you know the entire all of cash this movie brought in worldwide oh boy 159 million dollars in 1992 there are movies most movies that come out now don't even come close to 159 million dollars worldwide they're lucky to break 100 million some of these films. $159 million. Again, I don't have all the data in front of me, but I don't think there has been a Western since this debuted that has even come close to hitting those types of numbers. So did it kill the Westerns? Was there a lot of expectations? That's a quite, that's a pretty big question, but I think that's a question for another show. I mean, we, we, we would definitely need to go back and see it. Did it overshadow? Was it such a huge hit or was there a resurgence mm. as we have seen with, with, you know, Tarantino being credited for bringing back the Western genre because of Django after Django came out, we just had a whole slew of Westerns. So it would be interesting to go back again. I don't have the data, so I don't want to just speak out of my asshole here, but it would be interesting to go back and see what happened after 1992. Was there a call for more Westerns? Did any of them make even a fraction of the amount that Unforgiven made? Sure. But either way, this is 
this is a lot of pressure. So when we go back to that statement that Clint Eastwood had made, that this is his last Western. Um, does he really want to compete with himself? I mean, it's, it's a lot of pressure to say, I'm going to do one more. Although, do you think if Eastwood had said, has, let's say he next week, Clint, he says, you know what? I'm going to make another Western. Do you think it'll blow up in theaters? Because it's Clint Eastwood's returning to the Western genre? I think. Or do you think that ship has sailed? I don't and think. And we're all old. No, I don't think the ship has sailed. I just, I would worry that with today's environment, it may be a little different story-wise. And I wouldn't want that. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say? It's very, I, I, it would all be story driven and I would hope that it would be, like you said, it would be tough to top this one for him. So I don't know. I'd have to really give that some bigger thought, I think. Yeah. I, I know there was rumors for years that there was the possibility of making a sequel to this. Hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. And there's I, no, and that's not not necessary. <laughs> I agree. It, sequels, yes, can be as good as the original, but why? Why do it? It. I, I there were rumors at one point, like, and maybe this is just fans posting on Reddit and BuzzFeed saying this is what needs to happen. But there were speculation and talk a couple years ago, but about possibly having uh, Eastwood's son come in. And actually play the sun in mm. Unforgiven 2 and the stories about the sun. Uh, but then we also have those same rumors about the sun coming in and playing Eastwood's role in uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly sequel. So, it, and that I don't want, honestly. I don't want a Good, the Bad, and the Ugly sequel. Well, would you, would you, because I'm just, I'm such a fan of the man with no name. But the one thing that I would think would be cool, if done right, of course, uh, Go with that man with no name trilogy and then use his son as see where he came from. Oh, see, that's that's OK. I don't mind doing that. You know, adding Is it to a prequel. Is that what yeah, I'm trying to think of? Yeah, I wouldn't mind something like that. But a true sequel to the good, the bad and the ugly. I don't I don't think we need that. No, but that's just if you want to add to the writing. mythos, <laughs> it, very lazy writing. Yes, I agree. But if you want to add to the mythos of the man with no name an official addition to that saga rather than the, the countless homages and people that are inspired by that. But if we were to get to, if we were to get, if we were to get an official new installment of the man with no name. Yeah. I mean, that's dangerous territory. So who knows? I do like Scott Eastwood. He definitely has the, the looks to do something well, related we even, to Eastwood. Didn't we but, review Diablo? Yeah, and he he it, did just fine in that. Yeah, yeah, I thought he I thought he was a great Western character. Yeah. All right. So the concept for this film dated to 1976 when it was developed under the title "The Cut Whore." <laughs> <laughs> a bit. Uh, a bit much right well oh wait hold hold on it's it was the cut whore killings 
to cut her killings. All right. Well, you know, it's uh, to the point. I mean, it is the 70s. So, I mean, I could see a bit of a, an exploitation flair <laughs> to it. But I don't think that would have been. Uh, I'm not running to see it. Uh, yeah, I don't is... think that would be. <laughs> hey, honey, what do you, you want to go see the cut whore killings tonight? Yeah, I don't. We can get some popcorn no. and soda and watch some cut horse. Especially, I don't know when all the, like the Son of Sam and all that shit was happening, but yeah, I'm assuming that's around that time. I don't think that would go over too good. <laughs> yeah, the title would have hurt, I think, the movie. Because, like, yeah, you're watching this movie. All right, let's uh, watch a family movie tonight. Uh, what are you going to watch? Let's watch the cut whore killings. All let's right. It's a turn for good girls going bad. I mean, not that this movie is a family movie, but still, it's a Western. And if you just cut the opening five minutes with the uh, the guy that has a small penis, I probably wouldn't mind my son watching this. That was small? I, I, that's what I said, too, when I watched it. I'm like, well, that's pretty sad. I mean, come on. If that's small, then, geez. Wait, is this mic still on? Are we recording? <laughs> uh, the other name was the William Money Killings. Nah, I just don't like the word killings in a lot of... I don't know why. Yeah. Seems easy. Uh, by East, yeah, by Eastwoods... Yeah, you're right. It does seem easy, because Unforgiven... As when you really look into what the movie's about, that fits. Yeah. Poetically, it works much better than the cut whore killings or the William Money killings. Dirty uh, conscience. <laughs> Small penis killer. <laughs> uh, by Eastwood's own recollection, he was given the script in the early 80s. Although he did not immediately pursue it because according to him, I thought I should do some other things first. And he did for almost 15 years. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk briefly about the cinematography, which I thought was stunning. It's some of the best camera work in a Western. The look for this film is perfect. The film stock used and how it was processed, the overall cinematography. Those night shots were black. Yeah. We don't get a lot of night shots that are black. We get blues, we get whites sometimes, which those work for whatever movie you're trying to do. If there's something you're trying to convey, a thought you're trying to evoke out of the audience, I get it. But the dark, the blacks, the fact that the cinematographer in Eastwood did not veer away from black shots. And I know there's a lot of people that cry, I can't see what's going on. For a movie like this, those moments where we were, where our subjects, our characters were drenched in black or shrouded in darkness, it worked for what was being done at that time. Uh, they weren't afraid to hide bodies in the dark. Many times all we could see were faces in the darkness. But those bodies were lost within the darkness of the exposure. There was a shot, and I forgot what moment it was now. I had it saved on my desktop on my other computer. It's when Eastwood is on his horse, and he's looking down, and I believe he's talking to the people of the town as he's leaving. And if you kill any whores or cut any whores uh, or kill people, I'm going to come back here and kill all of you, whatever he said, which I which fucking was amazing, by yeah. the way. I believe there was a moment where you couldn't even make out his body. And I had, by the way, the 4K restoration. So it has nothing to do with an aged look or a, a low quality version. 
his face is the only thing you can see because the angle is pointed up towards the sky and you just see the colors of his face and that's it. I fucking love it because it's just, it says a lot about the character. Again, cinematographers like to tell their own story with many times. And sometimes it's parallel to what the the writer and director are doing. And sometimes it's something slightly separate. And it's not just the cinema cinematographer doing that. The director also utilizes the visuals to tell a concurrent story or to add more substance to the overall package. But the darkness was just such a great way to add mystique mystery also i mean possibly convey some thought that maybe eastwood doesn't really completely know himself because his character is the one that was at many times just in darkness just black yeah i fucking love it because so many movies nowadays they they really try to stay away from those dark shots because so many people complain now because of social media and they want to whine about not being able to see the picture. Like, listen, the director's showing you what you need to say. Sit down and shut up. Well, I, I think I've complained about that a few times, but that's usually the ones that are like on Amazon spaghetti Westerns. And it just doesn't well, that's different. come across yeah. very well, but especially for this one, the, the one scene that I remember is when he's in the doorway and he's telling the townspeople if, if, uh, I'm, if anybody shoots at me, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill yes. your family and I'm going to kill your friends. And, <laughs> you know, but the part that I like is it seemed like it was all almost one color. You had the color behind him, the, the, like the lamps. Yeah. It was such a cool shot because, you know, he's in this dark place again. That's kind of what it was. It felt like to me what it's supposed to be because through the whole film, we kind of were up until the point that uh, Ned dies and he takes that drink. Did we start getting heavy rain? We started getting like the dark darkness. Like you were saying that you could barely see him on the horse. It was, I think it was to show like, I, th- I believe you were saying that the shadow of him came around or that his, yeah. you know, his past is here again, and right. he's back in the dark place. And I, I for one, when I watch this film, that's what I get out of it. I get that yeah. the minute we took that drink and Ned passes away, we're back. We're we're not as young as we used to be, but we have the dark thoughts and the dark ideas, and uh, I'm about to rain hell down on everybody. And I, I, that's a great choice to do for a, for a film. Yeah. I agree, man. It's just, there's so much artistry and craftsmanship when it comes to this movie. There was nothing that was just left, you know, no stone was left unturned. They made sure they utilized everything. So critical response, Unforgiven has received widespread acclaim over the years. Review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes has a 96% rating based on 102 reviews from critics. The website's critical consensus states as both director and star, Clint Eastwood strips away decades of Hollywood varnish applied to the Wild West and emerges with a series of harshly eloquent statements about the nature of violence. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, Metacritic gave the film a score of 85 out of 100. What? Yeah. You know what? I think this takes us to our final thoughts. Let's uh, open up the saloon doors. Let's kick them open. Let's say hi to little Bill on the floor dead. Uh, let's uh, say hi to the cut up whore. She ain't ugly. Hello. And then we'll be very nice because we don't want to mess with these crazy ladies. They're out for blood. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So give me your final thoughts and your RMD score, Clint. Well, my final thoughts are this is just probably, this is the one of the top Westerns you could probably watch. Um, you know, we were talking about cin- cinematography earlier. There are shots of that sunset, of the silhouettes of, of him and Ned uh, just going across the fields. Beautiful. And um, we're talking about the gunfight scene inside the saloon. If you listen to the score of it, it's deep. It's kind of hellbound. I don't know how else to put it. It's bass. It's, you know, it's dark. Um, Everything about this film, I think maybe you would agree, if you were a film guy... If you wanted to learn about filmmaking and study it, this is probably one of those great films to to soak in. You know, uh, there's not much you can say that's what was wrong with this film, in my opinion, because it's it is the end of the era of Clint Eastwood's westerns. So, I uh, my my score was ninety nine. 99 uh, RMD score. 99% RMD score, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. And the only reason I gave it the, uh, I don't give it the extra 1% is just because I'm greedy. I wanted more. I wanted more of more <laughs> Westerns and it makes me sad. I wanted a three hour movie. No, I just didn't want uh, him to be done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, man, this is really hard for me. Um, That's what she said. And so dumb. I don't know what to say, honestly, that I haven't said already about this movie. But this is a tough one because I grew up watching it. So I had to separate the nostalgia. Okay, so there's nostalgia of growing up watching this and just remembering it as a fantastic Western, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's the Clint Eastwood nostalgia as well. So you got to separate yourself from that. Then there's the Gene Hackman nostalgia. You got to separate yourself from that. (laughs) And when you take all that away and you just look at what the movie has done. It's a near perfect movie. Mm hmm. Setting aside all of the things that we love about it, just looking at the script, looking at the directing, the near-perfect movie. And the only reason why I'm not going to give it 100% is because there's got to be something wrong with it. And I would feel uncomfortable rating this 100%. Also, I'm deducting a percent because uh, I want to make sure I'm not putting any of my Clint Eastwood fanboy-isms within this review (laughs) and because of that I'm going to give this a 98% yeah 98% it should be 100 
So I, if I went with my gut, I would give it 100%, but I'm deducting two points total just to be fair. Because you don't want a fanboy. Right. I want to make sure that's not taking over this review. So we're we're pretty we're right we're right there. Yeah. I did take one percent for my fanboy also. One percent. You know what? I gotta take another person away because I'm a little upset and Jesus. I feel I feel a little insulted. Just that give a fifty percent mic. Well they, they keep taking shit away. I, I don't like that they're small penis shaming. I, I just have to be honest. <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta duck from that because come on. The guy are you really going 97%? No. Because of Come a small it. dick. At least he made his debut. <laughs> At least we all have a chance, I guess. Uh, yeah. All right. So 98%, 99%, which gives it an average of what? 90, uh, 98.5. So we'll just round up to 99% nice. RMB score for the Unforgiven. Goddamn right. All right, so I want to thank everyone for listening. Remember, you can always find all of our shows, past and present, on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Just search Weird West Radio. Also, if you want more Western discussions, including a Spaghetti Western show, where we just talk Spaghetti Westerns, head over to our Patreon page and pledge $4 or more a month, and you will gain access to additional Weird West discussions and Spaghetti Western discussions every single month. You don't even have to wear a mask to listen to us. And we won't shame you if you have a small penis. Never. Yeah. And we don't cut up whores. So please, we're good people. Well. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Michael. And good night. Want more Weird West Radio? Get more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun. Get more Weird West Radio every month with the Patreon Mike and Clint Do You Right tier. When you pledge just $4 or more a month, you will receive two to four additional broadcasts every single month. More movie discussions on the weird, strange, and traditional Westerns, including episodic breakdowns on the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. and the Wild Wild West. Also, for you Spaghetti Western fans, we've got a monthly specialty show dedicated specifically to the iconic film genre of the 60s and 70s. For more Western discussions plus some pulpy fun, go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. He be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, Dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>